0: a New Testament scholar, and a leadership coach. My goal on Leading and Learning is to help you live your best life. Thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome back to Leading and Learning. This is episode number 336, The Importance of the Apostle Paul, Part 2. So last week we started this study discussing St. Paul or the Apostle Paul and his importance in the New Testament church, in the, the writing and the development of the New Testament itself, but also for today. What does Paul still have to say to us in the year 2021? And we, we looked at, um, first of all, we started off looking at Paul's place in the early church. We talked about the fact that he he didn't occupy, occupy the place of prominence and influence that that he has today. he was uh, His apostleship was constantly being called into question. Uh, there was conflict with some of the other Christian leaders. And um, yeah, it was just a very tough uh, road for the Apostle Paul, and he speaks candidly about that in some of his letters. We also talked about the fact that Paul was the church's first great theologian, and that's kind of where we're going to pick up today in just a minute. Um, we, we talked about the Challenges that Paul wrote to, and and the first challenge was um, the 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 relevance of an insignificant Jew, born in the middle of nowhere in the backwoods of Israel. Um, to a sophisticated Greek and Roman world. So in other words, what's, what's the relevance of Jesus to a sophisticated Greek and Roman world? They had no uh, desire to associate with the Jews. In many cases, the Jews were looked down upon wherever they lived in the Greek and Roman world. And uh, so, so what did Jesus have to offer them? And Paul, really, that's one of the main things he wrote to. Uh, the other big challenge that Paul wrote in response to was the Jew... Gentile problem: What's the connection between the law and the Christian faith, and what should the relationship between the two two groups of people be? Because uh, there was an understanding and and even you know some some contention that uh, early Christians should be required to keep the law. Coming out of a Greek background, um, they should be required to be circumcised, keep all the dietary laws and everything else. And um, you know, Paul really dealt with this very strongly throughout his letters, but especially in Galatians and Romans that salvation is through faith in Jesus and through faith alone, through his grace. And, and of course we know that that doesn't mean that, that we accept Jesus and then we just do whatever we want. but we we can't earn our salvation. Um, there's nothing wrong with with working. In fact, Paul tells us to work out our salvation um, with fear and trembling. But then in the next breath, he says, for God is at work in you. So so this, this idea of, of the Jew-Gentile problem is something that Paul dealt with in depth. And today, we're going to pick up, still talking about Paul as a theologian, and we're going to talk about one of the other really, really powerful things that he wrote to, and, and this was reconciliation. Reconciliation. Paul understood that the nature of the gospel— Um, As much as anything else was this idea of things being put right. That uh, there should be a reconciliation between God and man, and then between people. Listen to what he says. This is in 2 Corinthians 5, um, and we will pick up in verse 18. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. There's that idea of reconciliation. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. But then, so that's talking about being reconciled uh, to God. And 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 really that that is the, the first step in reconciliation reconciliation is us being brought back into a relationship with God. Uh the scriptures present very bleakly the fact that humanity has turned their back on God, and it's only through Christ that we can come back into a relationship with Him or be reconciled with God. And that takes place through the work of Christ. But then Paul takes it a step farther. And he says, we are Christ's ambassadors. He says, God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So so there is a part that we play even in this reconciliation of God and man. And that's um, essentially what Paul was saying there is that we are ambassadors for Christ. But then there's this idea of reconciliation between groups of people. Listen to what he says in uh, Ephesians, Ephesians 2. He says, But now uh, you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to Him through the blood of Christ. So that's the reconciliation between us and God. But then he goes on to say, Christ Himself has brought peace to us, and He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility towards each other was put to death. So this is a, an amazing passage because he's using in this particular instance talking about the Jews and the Gentiles, but we can see it on so many other levels that, that Christ is the one who brings people back together. Uh, that's why you can see all over the world groups of people worshiping together from different backgrounds and different colors and ethnic that word, ethnicities. And uh, different cultural differences, and and of course, some people will argue that the church is still the the most segregated place in the world on a Sunday morning. But you know, really, <clears throat> I think that's what people choose, but it doesn't have to be that way. And I think you see in churches all over America, all over the world, is this desire for people to come together as one body, um, the body of Christ, and and so I think that's that's God's plan doesn't always work that way, but that is God's plan. And and He wants to reconcile people. Don't go away. We'll be right back. But I want to let you know this episode of Leading and Learning is brought to you by my book, Peter and Paul in Acts. You know, we're dealing with the Apostle Paul here. And, and I would really encourage you to get a copy of this book because it's such a great reference on the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter and their apostolic ministries in the early church. We, we basically go through the book of Acts of the Apostles looking at how these two great leaders did missionary, evangelism, church planting, etc. We look at some of the other leaders too, but we really focus on Peter and Paul. So this is a great book, a welcome addition to any bookshelf, and I encourage you to check it out. Click on the link. You can probably read um, a chapter or two for free on Amazon. And then by all means, click the Buy button. I know you'll love it. All right, so we've just finished talking about the fact that Paul was the church's first great theologian. Dealing with you know, so many things that, um, and actually making simple things that had been made very complicated and, and even very difficult under the Jewish law. But also, also another very important aspect of Paul's ministry is the fact that he was the church's first great missionary. Paul was the church's first great missionary. He developed a missionary strategy. And remember, in Acts of the Apostles, in in, in chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus told his followers just before he was taken into heaven, he said, But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. And listen to the the outline that Jesus gives here. He's already told them before that, go, Go into all the world, make disciples of all nations. But here he says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, uh, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. That's Acts 1.8. So starting in Jerusalem where they're at, then moving out into Judea, which is the region, and then the further area of Samaria, and then into the uttermost parts of the world. And Samaria is interesting because that's where you first start seeing the gospel being taken to non-Jewish people. So Paul was the first great missionary. Now you see this developed in Acts 13 and following. In chapter 13 of Acts, it says that uh, Paul was with Barnabas. They were working at the church in Antioch, which was the first kind of mega church, especially where there wasn't predominantly Jewish. And they they had pastored there for a year or two. They were working together and... During one of the worship services or a time of prayer, it says that the Holy Spirit said to them, to to the leadership, set aside Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have for them. So evidently this was something they had been thinking about, contemplating, maybe even praying about, and the Holy Spirit confirmed it. So Barnabas, and he was being called Saul at the time, Barnabas and Saul, um, soon to be known as the Apostle Paul, began a missionary journey into um, the region of which, what we would call Turkey today. And they, they planted a number of churches. They had some persecution. Uh, wasn't an easy road. They were gone for months, maybe even a year, year and a half, and, and planted a number of churches, had incredible success. And then as they started to make their way back to their church in Antioch, they went back through the churches they had planted, retracing their route and appointing elders in each of the churches or the small Christian groups. That they had started. Now, how did Paul come up with his missionary strategy? Because we see from there, he and Barnabas uh, on the next trip actually separated and and went in different directions. But Paul went on three specific missionary trips, going farther each time. And then, uh, what some folks might even call his fourth trip was his. Uh, journey to Rome while in Roman custody to stand trial before Caesar. Um, but but what did Paul do and how did he develop his strategy? How did he take the gospel, which we said was, you know, what would be considered an insignificant Jewish rabbi to most of the Greek world. How did Paul take that message and see it spread throughout the Roman Empire and, and really lay the foundation for the growth of the church for centuries to come. Well, first of all, <clears throat> Paul made use of what was already existing. In most of the cities throughout the Roman uh, world, there were Jewish synagogues. Now, as we said, in many cases, the Jews weren't that popular, but it was a legal religion. And so Paul always started in the synagogue, if there was a synagogue in the city. And in some cities, they weren't. The city of Philippi, there was no synagogue. But where there was a synagogue, that's where Paul started because there would be some common ground. They didn't have the New Testament, so Paul's scriptures that he was preaching from was the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, the Hebrew Bible. And so he started there because now there's a place uh, of connection. The, The Jews only believed in one God, uh, the Greeks believed in a, a multiplicity of gods. They were very um, um, polytheistic, had, had multiple gods, many different temples, and so many different idols. And so so Paul started with the common ground. He started with the Jews and with those Greeks who were considered God-fearers. They were sensitive, and, and, and their hearts leaned towards this monotheistic religion of, of Judaism. So so Paul started in the synagogue, and, and often what would happen, he would end up getting, get, getting kicked out um, after people started turning to faith in Jesus because um, he, was, he was essentially welcoming in the non-Jews, and that was uh, anathema to the most of the Jewish audience. So, but he used the Jewish synagogue system because it was a great place to start, and there was some common ground. Um, that was always the first place that he went. The next thing that we see in Paul's missionary strategy was he targeted, whenever he could, the large urban centers. Now, in his first missionary journey, he didn't do this quite as much because there, there really weren't that many in, in uh, Asia Minor, but he, he did go to the bigger cities that were in that region, but later on, we see him focusing on uh, really the, 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 the major cities where he could do the most good. For example... He spent probably two years or more in the city of Corinth. He spent probably close to three years in Ephesus. These were two of the largest cities in the Roman Empire, and that's where Paul spent most of his time. So so we see him going there because he knew that by focusing on that city, these cities that were um, uh, very uh, populous but also Um, where where the commercial centers were, he knew that the gospel would eventually be disseminated into the countrysides. And what we see in Ephesus even is Paul utilizing his teams going and evangelizing the rest of that region. Uh, We read the letter to the Colossians. We, We know that Paul, he says himself, I've never visited you. But yet he's credited with planting that church. But in reality, it was his team that he was sending out uh, while he was based in Ephesus and the, the, church, the, the church in the city of, of Colossae was planted. So, um, and we know of several other churches that his teams probably planted while he was working and ministering in, um, in Ephesus. So, so he targeted those urban centers. He would have um, the greatest impact there and, and really be able to, to spend most of his time there and see the gospel spread throughout the region. And then the, the last thing I want to talk about Paul as the first uh, great missionary is he developed what we would call today this concept of church planting. At the time, he would go into a city and those converts would just be formed into a small group meeting in someone's home. Uh, typically the the person who owned the house would probably be kind of designated as the elder or the pastor, but um uh, or in some cases, like uh, when, when they had to flee Philippi after planting a church there, Luke was left behind as the pastor for a couple of years. So um, but this idea of church planting uh really started with the apostle Paul. And even today, when you talk to missionaries and those who who study um the this idea of missionology and, and seeing the gospel spread, church planting is considered to be one of the most effective ways. Of spreading the gospel, because um, while some ministries will focus on feeding the poor, well, that's a good thing. Some ministries will focus on going into an area and um, you know helping with very practical needs, like providing clean water or uh, building schools or hospitals. Those are fantastic things. Missionaries have done those for years. They're wonderful things. Um, Some missionaries will focus on going and doing crusades. You know, come in and have fifty thousand people show up at a crusade in Africa or, or or whatever and see many people get saved, but then those missionaries or evangelists move on. But church planting really is, is the, the best way to reach a community, because if you put a good local church in a locale, you put a great life-giving church in an area, that church is going to be able to minister to so many different types of needs. I've ministered at churches and, been, and visited churches that had a, had a medical outreach. I visited and ministered at churches that had, uh, maybe they focused more on the poor because of where they were located. I've been to churches where maybe their focus is a little bit more towards education or counseling. Every church can't do everything, but when a church finds out what it's good at, obviously preaching the gospel, you know, taking care of families, providing opportunities for people to serve, um, providing a, a place for people to come in and have their lives transformed. Uh, a place where people can be discipled, a place where children can be raised and and, and, and educated and and really come under the influence of the Holy Spirit and the Scriptures, Um, that's actually going to have an impact and change a community. So church planting was kind of what Paul started. And you see um, that that's what they did in the first missionary journey. On his second missionary journey, um, when Paul went back out sometime later, the first place he went was back to those churches that he had planted on his first missionary journey with, with Barnabas, visited those churches, spent some time there, made sure everything was going, going well, and then he would press on, continue to evangelize, and then form small Christian communities after he had been there for, for some time. So when you read the book of Acts, you see this um, over and over again, and uh, it's just a great, great um, picture of, of what New Testament evangelism looks like. All right. Well, I'm going to stop there. Uh, we've still got plenty more to cover, which we will come back to uh, next week. Um, just a quick, quick recap today. We we focused. We finished talking about Paul as the 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 church's great theologian, the first great theologian. We talked about reconciliation and how that really is the essence of Paul's theology. You read any of his letters, he's He's talking about reconciliation. And then we talked about how Paul was the church's first great missionary, developing a missionary strategy. strategy. So um, I hope you'll be back next week, and we will continue to talk about um, this important apostle. Now, I'd love to hear from you. What do you think of the Apostle Paul? What's your favorite letter? What's your favorite thing about the Apostle Paul? Let me know. Go to davidspell.com. Leave a question or comment in the comment section for today's post. And while you're there, make sure you sign up to get my newsletter so that we can stay in touch. Well, friends, thanks for being with me. And we'll see you next week on Leading and Learning.